Bismillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudillala wa man yudlil falahadiyala wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluhu Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. And I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates, and I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is His slave servant and His messenger. Just quickly, we would like to review the points that we covered in the previous lecture. The saying of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, Rahimahullah, in his book Al-Aqidah Al-Tahawiyya, point number 66, وَالْإِمَانُ هُوَ الْإِمَانُ بِاللَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَالْقَدَرِ خَيْرِهِ وَشَرِّهِ حُلْوِهِ وَمُرِّهِ مِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى That Al-Iman or faith it consists of or includes these things belief in Allah that is the Tawheed His angels, the Malaika His books, the divine revelations His messengers as well as prophets the last day, the day of judgment the day of resurrection the day of accounting and, and finally that Al-Qadr, the divine decree, it's good and it's evil, it's sweet and it's bitter. All of it is from Allah, the Most High. Uh, we briefly mentioned yani, what was uh, covered previously concerning these points, the points concerning Tawheed in the beginning of the book, as well as we also mentioned briefly some of the points related to Al-Iman, the Malaika, believing in the angels in general, that they are creatures of Allah, created from light. They have different responsibilities and some of their uh, uh, characteristics as well as their assignments and duties have been mentioned either in the Qur'an or in the authentic Sunnah and we believe in all of it, that which is mentioned in general as well as that which has been specified or mentioned yani, in detail in the Qur'an and authentic Sunnah. And so also the belief in the divine revelations and the messengers and prophets uh, which we discussed previously in more detail. We believe in whatever has come to us from the prophets and messengers of Allah that all of it is true and that they delivered the message in its totality as Allah commanded them to and that the revelations that they received were true, they were completely truthful and that uh, the Sharia that each of the Prophets came with uh, and messengers that they came with, it was for their particular people for that particular time and all of those Sharia or those laws have been abrogated or cancelled by the Sharia of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We also said that we believe in the last day or the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, the day of accounting in which uh, the people, all human beings that lived on this earth will be uh, resurrected, they will be brought back to life, they will be called to account, their deeds will be weighed, the scales will be set up, 
uh, account will be given the crossing of the Sirat, the bridge over the hellfire. Those who passed over it would enter paradise and those who fell in would fall into the hellfire and so on. And finally we discussed in some detail uh, previously in a number of points in the first half of the book uh, points related to Al-Qadr Al-Qadr, the divine decree and the execution of that which Allah had decreed um, that all of it is from Allah whether it is good or bad bitter or sweet we know that nothing happens except by the will of Allah whatever Allah wills will be and whatever Allah does not will will never and can never be uh, we discussed these things in some detail and we also mentioned concerning Al-Qadr that it has four main elements or four degrees or four levels and they are Al-Ilm, knowledge, that Allah has knowledge of everything Al-Kitabah, that Allah has had everything written that would happen until Yawm Al-Qiyamah Al-Mashiyah or Al-Iradah, the will of Allah that whatever Allah wills will be and whatever He does not will will not be and we also said concerning Al-Iradah, that the Iradah of Allah is of two types, Al-Iradah Al-Qawniyah and Al-Iradah Al-Shari'iyah and we discussed it previously in detail, Al-Iradah Al-Qawniyah refers to that will of Allah which when He wills it, it has to be, it may be of that which He loves or it may not be that which He loves but when He wills the thing uh, according to Iradah Al-Qawniyah, the universal will, it must be. As for Al-Iradah Al-Shari'iyah, it refers to that which Allah loves that which Allah has legislated, that which Allah has ordered the people to do and Allah loves that the people do it and Allah is pleased that the people should do it but this will, al-irada, al-shari'iyah, it may or may not happen yani the people may do it or they may not do it and we discussed these two types of will in detail previously uh, <coughs> this is a summary of the first point the second point, al-imam al-sahawi says in point number 67 uh, وَنَحْنُ مُؤْمِنُونَ بِذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِنْ غُسُلِهِ وَنُصَدِّقُهُمْ كُلَّهُمْ عَلَى مَا جَاءُوا بِهِ that we are believers that we are mu'minun in all of these things يعني all of what Allah has mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah, particularly the fundamentals, the usul of Iman, the six pillars of Iman, as well as the branches and details of what the Muslims are required to believe in. And we make no distinction between any of the messengers. Here the meaning of we make no distinction between them is that we accept them all as being truthful and that they delivered the message and that their message was true or the revelation that they received was true. We don't make any distinction in terms of our affirmation or confirmation of their prophethood or messengership that it is true. As for the degrees of the prophets, there are degrees and some of them have preference over others just as there are degrees of the angels and there are degrees of human beings. So also amongst the prophets there are degrees and they are Ulul Azim, the five who are the greatest of the prophets and messengers including the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Prophet Nuh, Musa, Isa and Ibrahim alayhi salam and from amongst those five of course the foremost of them and the most beloved of Allah is the last and final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam we believe in the truthfulness of their messengership and what they came with we believe that it is all true and that they delivered the message in totality finally the last point that we covered last week uh, which is a long point, we will just mention it in passing 
the uh, point number 68 where Imam Al-Tahawi rahimahullah discusses the Ahl Al-Kabair, the people who commit major sins. And here he says that the people, those who commit major sins, and we said in brackets, Min Ummati Muhammadin وسلم, those who commit major sins from the Ummah, from the followers of Muhammad but as the scholars pointed out, that this expression from the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, it is better that we leave it out. In fact, this principle or this law or this point is applicable to the followers of all prophets. Any of the believers who followed any prophet, if they committed major sins, this is also applicable to them. That they would be in the, in the hellfire for the sins that they committed according to the nature of their sin, but they would not remain in the hellfire permanently as long as they died on Tawheed. Yani as long as they died not associating anything uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that uh, the fact that they would get out of the hellfire after they were punished for their sins uh, is applicable even if they did not repent in this life. Yeah, and if somebody committed major sins and they died without repenting, still they would not remain in the hellfire if they died on Tawheed, confessing to the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He is alone in His characteristics and names, and that He alone has the right or deserves to be worshipped. And then Imam Al-Tahawi says afterwards they will meet Allah Arifina Mu'minina Knowing Him, believing in Him And again there was a point here that's very important That in some of the books, and some of the copies, the manuscripts of Al-Aqidah Tahawiyah Some of them only included the word that they would meet Allah Arifina yani Knowing Him And we said that those who considered knowing Allah as sufficient was a jahmiyyah And this is wrong that in fact it's not sufficient just to say uh, yani just to acknowledge or just to have knowledge of Allah but it's yani, a condition that a person after knowing Allah that they must believe in Allah yani it's not sufficient Iman consists of more than just knowing Allah but it is a conviction in the heart it is a confession on the tongue and it is the implementation of that which we confess by our actions so he said that they would be under the will of Allah and the, and the judgment of Allah. If Allah will, He would forgive them and pardon them by His bounty, His favor, His fadl. Uh, as He mentioned, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in, in, in the Quran, وَيَغْفِرُوا مَا دُونَ ذَلِكَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءَ In Surah Al-Nisa, that Allah forgives whatever is less than shirk to whomever He wills. Yani anything less than shirk, Allah will forgive those people uh, as he wills. وَإِنْشَاءَعَذَّبَهُمْ فِي النَّارِ بِعَدْلِهِ And if Allah wills, He may punish them. This is in reference to the Ahl Al-Kaba'ir, the people who committed major sins, that on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, if they meet Allah as believers, as believers, even if they didn't repent from their sins before they died, then they would be under the Mashiach, or the will of Allah. If Allah wills, He may pardon them, or forgive them, by His bounty and favor. And if he wills, he may punish them out of his justice. And if he punish them, it will be just. And if he forgives them, that's his favor, his bounty that he, he gives to whomever he wills. Then Allah would remove them from the fire by his rahmah, by his mercy, and also by the shafa'ah, or the intercession of those whom Allah would allow to intercede from the ahlu ta'ah, those who obeyed Allah, those who were in obedience to Allah, Allah would allow 
from amongst the prophets as well as the angels and the believers, the shuhada, the martyrs, Allah will allow whomever He wills to intercede and to uh, yeah, and remove some of the people, some of the believers who died on Tawheed but committed major sins, Allah would allow some of the people to intercede for them to take them out of the hellfire until there would remain no one to intercede and then Allah, the most merciful of those who are mercy, He Himself would intercede and take out of the hellfire a handful of people and of course when we say a handful of people we know that whatever we ascribe to Allah of descriptions or characteristics that it is not similar to the characteristics of human beings or any of Allah's creatures but Allah's hands are in accordance with His majesty and glory not as we might imagine physically uh, in comparison to anything in the creation then uh, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi says that the reason why Allah would allow the people to come out of the hellfire by His mercy and allow others to intercede for them and then He would send them to the paradise and this is because Allah has taken the care and the custody for the people who knew Him and the people who acknowledged Him and confessed to His right to be worshipped and He didn't make the people who denied Him and the people who confessed to Him equal not in this world or in the next life and the people who believed in Allah would not be like the people who disbelieved even though they may have committed sins like the disbelievers yani even though the believer might kill or steal or commit fornication like the kafirs do but because they confess to Allah and that he alone deserves to be worshipped because of their iman then Allah would not make them equal not in this world or in the next life and therefore the disbelievers for their sins will remain in hellfire forever whereas the believers no matter what sins they committed, how big they were, or how many they were, eventually they would get out of the hellfire. Eventually. And that's the distinction between the believer and the disbeliever, even though their deeds may have been similar. Uh, he says that Allah would not make them like those who denied Him. He would not make the believers like those who denied Him. He would not deal with them in the same way. Yani those who didn't attain or achieve his guidance nor did they receive any degree of his wilaya, his protection or friendship and then Imam al-Tahawi closes this point with the dua that has been reported authentically from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allahumma ya waliya al-Islam wa ahlihi thabbitna ala al-Islam hatta nalqaka bihi O oh Allah, the one who is the patron or the protector and the friend of Islam and the people of Islam, the Muslims make us firm on this Islam in submission to you until yani, to remain firm on Islam until we meet you with this Islam yani, in submission until we die and are resurrected on Islam this is yani, a summary of what we covered last week in the previous points today uh, we would like to mention some points in the beginning yani, of some uh, topics which we haven't discussed before at all uh, or we discussed them in our explanations of uh, the essay of Imam Ahmed Usulu Sunnah but until now it didn't come in this book Al-Aqidah Tahawiyah any mention of these points the first of them Al-Imam Al-Tahawi uh, mentions point number 69 كل بر وفاجر من أهل القبلة وعلى من مات منهم يعني we view 
it is our opinion or our position. That is the opinion or the position of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. We believe and we say that the Salat behind every bar righteous or fajir sinful unrighteous person from the Ahlu Qibla. The Ahlu Qibla are the people who face the Kaaba, who face Mecca, the Muslimun. Anyone from amongst the Ahlu Qibla, the Muslims, whether they are righteous or unrighteous, whether they are obedient to Allah or sinful, we believe that it is proper and permissible to pray behind that person as an Imam. Yani it is permissible to stand behind an Imam whether he is righteous or sinful. This is the Aqeedah of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah. That we believe the Salat behind every righteous or unrighteous person from the Ahl Qibla, we believe that it is permissible and acceptable, and also that we believe it is permissible to pray upon the one who dies from amongst them, from the Ahl Qibla, the Muslims, whether they are righteous or unrighteous, if they died, then we believe it's permissible to pray over them, yani to perform Salat al Janazah for every Muslim who dies on Tawheed. Even if he was disobedient, even if he was corrupt, even if he was unrighteous and sinful and his sins were known and seen by the people, we still believe that it is his right that we should perform Salat al-Janazah over him. Naam? <laughs> you can ask afterwards. Unless it is an emergency, you can ask now, no problem. But try to save it for the end, inshallah. Perhaps your question will be answered when we give the explanation. <laughs> Uh, the Barr or the righteous, the Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al Khumayyis, Hafidahullah, says in his brief explanation concerning this point number 69, uh, Sheikh Muhammad says that the Barr it means Muti' Taqi, the one who is obedient to Allah and who has Taqwa. We pray, be, we, we pray behind and we pray over the Barr, the righteous person, as well as the Fajr. The Fajr is the corrupt, sinful person. Uh, then he says that the Ahlu Sunnah or Jama'ah hold the position of the lawfulness or permissibility of praying behind every Muslim Imam, whether he is righteous or unrighteous, while we give preference to the one who is righteous. Yani if there are two Imams, we have the choice to pray between either of them, then it's permissible to pray behind the righteous as well as the sinful, but we give preference to the righteous one. If, there's, if one of them is sinful, then although it's permissible to pray behind him, but we give preference to praying behind the one that is righteous. Except in the case where the Salat behind the righteous Imam might be difficult on the people. Yani perhaps the masjid in which the righteous Imam is praying is far and it's very difficult to go to that masjid in that case though it is preferable to pray behind him it's permissible to pray behind the Imam that is easy for you to pray behind though he might be yani, a sinful person also we, we give preference to the righteous person but another exception to this is in the case where the unrighteous or wicked or sinful Imam has been appointed for example by the leader of the Muslims and there might be fitna or temptation or trial or confusion in the society if the people refuse to pray behind the Imam that was appointed by the Khalifa or the Amir or the ruler if it would lead to fitna 
turmoil in the community, then pray behind him. Don't make turmoil. It's permissible to pray behind him. Allah doesn't like fitna and turmoil and confusion and division in the community. Yani the preference is to the righteous Imam, but in the case where it's difficult to pray behind him, or in the case where praying, leaving the wicked Imam or the sinful Imam and going to the righteous Imam might lead to turmoil in the community because that, that Imam has been appointed by the ruler or for, for some other reason. In that case, then it's permissible to pray behind the unrighteous Muslim who happens to be the Imam. And finally, Imam uh, Sheikh Muhammad says that this permissibility has a condition. The fajir or unrighteous, wicked, sinful Muslim who is the Imam, the permissibility of praying behind him is with one exception. The exception that he is from Ahlul Bid'ah, the people of innovation, and the Bid'ah that he is believing or that he is practicing or that he is espousing or calling to is bid'ah mukaffirah there are two types of bid'ah there is bid'ah that is leading to corruption it is sinful act and there is bid'ah that is kufr kufr and it's disbelief it's an innovation that the performance of that act or the believing of that idea is actually kufr, it takes somebody out of Islam. If the Imam who is unrighteous is from Ahlul Bid'ah and the Bid'ah that he is calling to or that he is practicing or espousing or showing amongst the people is of the second type of Bid'ah, Mukaffirah, the kind that the person who does it actually falls into kufr in disbelief, then we may not pray behind him. Because it's not permissible to pray behind a kafir. But if his bid'ah is the minor bid'ah, which is not kufr, but it is just sinful, it is deviation, then it's permissible even to pray behind that person from Ahl bid'ah, though the preference is to pray behind the people of Sunnah. The preference is to pray behind the people of Sunnah or the righteous Imam. Also, he says, in the end of the statement of Imam Sahawi, Sheikh Muhammad says concerning this that we also see the permissibility of the Salat, yani Salat al-Janazah, over the Muslim when he dies, whether he is righteous or unrighteous, with the exception of the person who died outside of Islam. Yani the person who died on Kufr, he is from the Muslim Ummah, but he deviated and fell into Kufr, Shirk, and died on that. In that case, we shouldn't pray over such a person. Otherwise, whatever kind of sin the person committed, he could have been a drug dealer. He could have been a murderer. But if he died on Islam, he didn't die in kufr. Because major sins is not kufr. We don't declare anyone to be a kafir because of major sins. We say that person is a sinful person. He's a wicked person, is corrupt or whatever. But we don't say that such a person is a kafir. Therefore, that person has the right. As long as they died on Islam, they have the right that the Muslims should pray over them. With the exception, as some of the scholars said, Sheikh al-Bani mentioned in his book, Ahkam al-Janaiz, if we have a chance to read from it, if time allows, we may discuss it in more detail. But he refers to some of the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ used to avoid praying over people who were very, very evil or wicked. He used to tell the other people, pray over them. 
that shows that they still had the right that the people should pray over them, but he himself wouldn't pray over them, perhaps as a punishment for those people who yani, were very, very uh, uh, immersed in sin and immorality. And there are some hadith explaining this point. If there's time, perhaps we'll read it. Uh, Sheikh al-Albani, in his commentary on al-Aqidah al-Tahawiyah, he makes a number of points <laughs> concerning this issue. And he says that our view, the view of Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah, concerning the permissibility of praying over the Muslim, or praying behind the Muslim, whether righteous or unrighteous, the proof of this is the ongoing, continuous practice of Sahaba. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. Yeah, and the, the outstanding proof of such is that the Sahaba, they used to pray behind the Imam, whether he was righteous or wicked. And there are many such examples. From amongst them is Hujjaj ibn Yusuf, who not only was corrupt and sinful, but was a murderer who killed one of the companions of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abdullah ibn Zubayr, radiallahu anhu. And yet the Sahaba, they used to pray behind him. He was the Imam, and they used to pray behind him, even though he was unrighteous. As well as the son, uh, Yazid, the son of Muawiyah, radiallahu anhu. His son was known to be, yani, engaging in so many sinful acts, such as drinking and other things. And when he was the Imam of the Muslims, the Sahaba used to pray behind him. So this is the proof, this is the outstanding proof, that doesn't require further discussion, that it is permissible to pray behind the Imam, whether he is righteous or unrighteous. <coughs> Shaykh al-Albani says that this, the act of Sahaba, or the practice of Sahaba, is sufficient as a proof. But not only that, but also we may look at the saying of the Prophet ﷺ concerning the Imams. He said, يُصَلُّونَ لَكُمْ فَإِنْ أَصَابُوا فَلَكُمْ وَلَهُمْ وَإِنْ أَخْتَعُوا فَلَكُمْ وَعَلَيْهِمْ This hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari in his Sahih and in the Musnad Imam Ahmed in the Musnad of Abu Ya'la. The meaning of it is the Prophet said concerning the Imams who lead us in prayer, يُصَلُّونَ لَكُمْ That they pray for you. Yani they are performing the prayer on behalf of you. The Imam is performing the prayer on behalf of the people who is behind him. The Imam is representing the people. فَإِنْ أَصَابُوا فَلَكُمْ وَلَهُمْ So if they prayed correctly and they did right and good, then it is for you, those who are following the Imam, to your credit as well as to their credit. If they did right, in أَصَابُوا فَإِنْ أَصَابُوا فَلَكُمْ وَلَهُمْ Whenever they did what was right and leading you in the prayer, that is for you, to your credit, and for them, for their credit. وَإِنْ أَخْتَعُوا فَلَكُمْ وَعَلَيْهِمْ but if they made mistake or they fell into error as the Imam, then the credit of good is for you, but the mistake is against them only. This makes us to know that the general principle concerning the Imam is that we shouldn't be concerned that the Imam is righteous or unrighteous because whatever he does of good as the Imam, we get the credit for it in following him. But if he does anything wrong, it is only against him, not against the people who are following him. And this is the proof that it's permissible to pray behind the Imam, whatever his condition may be, as long as he isn't into kufr, yani as long as he hasn't fallen into disbelief. Uh, <coughs> 
Concerning the Janazah Salat on the Muslim who dies, whether righteous or unrighteous, there are other proofs concerning this. Shaykh al-Bani refers to his book, Ahkam al-Janaiz. Uh, and he mentioned a number of hadith there. I'll just read one of them because it's a long section. The hadith, the first hadith he mentions concerning the obligation of praying on the dead Muslim, that it is far kifaya. This is based on the command of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a number of hadith, and he will mention so many of them. The first one he mentions is that a man from the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam died yawm al-Khaybar on the day of Khaybar when the Muslims uh, went to Khaybar to attack the Jews. Uh, it was mentioned yani, that this man died, it was mentioned to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he said, Sallu ala sahibikum. The Prophet ordered them, Sallu ala sahibikum. He told them to pray over him. But he himself didn't pray over that man. The people, their faces changed. They were astonished, surprised. Why is he telling us pray over him? He is the Imam, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi he should pray over them and we follow him. But he told them, pray over him. You, you. <coughs> the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw the astonishment in their faces, he said, And he explained the reason why he told them, you pray over him. But he didn't pray. He said, because your companion, that man, took some of the spoils of war illegally. Yani before the spoils were distributed. Yani in the jihad, when they, fought against, when they went against the Jews in Khaybar, they took so much wealth. But that wealth, no one has the right to take from it until the spoils are divided by the Imam of the Muslims. Whoever takes before that, it's illegal. So that person had taken something from the spoils of war before it was divided. And for this reason, the Prophet ﷺ told them to pray over your companion. The people, after he said that, they began to search and they checked the belongings of that man and they found something that had been taken from the Jews, some cloth that wasn't even equal to two dirhams, yani not even equal to two coins. But in spite of that, yani it was illegal to take such and for that reason the Prophet ﷺ didn't pray over him, but yet still he ordered the people to pray over him which shows that even if a person commits an act of disobedience to Allah or sin, still they have a right to be prayed over. This hadith is reported by Al-Imam Malik rahimahullah, in his Muwatta and also in the Sunan of Abu Dawood and Nasai and Ibn Majah and the Mustadrak of Hakim, the Musnad of Imam Ahmed and the Isnad or the chain of narratives is Sahih. There are a number of other hadith but Yani sufficient, yani this, this should be sufficient for us to know that the one who commits sins, even if the leader of the Muslims or the ulama or the, or the well-known people don't pray over that person as a punishment for the act that they did, yet it is fortifier that some of the Muslims should pray over the Muslim who dies, whatever their condition may be, sinful or otherwise. Then Shaykh al-Bani, Hafizullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, mentions other hadith which are relevant to this topic and it is important for us to mention them because perhaps we may come across them and we should know what is the correct uh, judgment concerning the authenticity of these hadith. Uh, the first hadith, he says, the hadith, Sallu khalfa kulli barrin wa fajirin wa sallu ala kulli barrin wa fajirin. That this is the command from the Prophet 
pray behind every righteous or unrighteous person yani as your imam pray over every righteous or unrighteous person yani salat al-janaza pray over them if they die this hadith seems to be a proof for what we are saying but the hadith is daif it is not authentic so we would not use it as a proof and it is only mentioned here to show our concern for only using authentic proof and even if there is some proof that supports our opinion if it is not authentic we will not use it we will point out that it's not authentic and here Shaykh al-Albani Hafizullah mentions this hadith and he discussed it in detail in some of his books uh, <clears throat> also he said that there is no proof for uh, there is no proof that those who said that the salat behind a fasiq or sinful person that the salat is unacceptable that it is unacceptable some people said you cannot pray behind a sinful disobedient person you cannot and uh, they also yani, use as some proof the hadith in which it is reported yani, make as your imams the best of you yani, the best of your people you should select them to be your imams they said this is a proof that you cannot pray behind a disobedient person the shaykh says first of all the isnad or chain of narratives of this hadith is very weak da'if jiddan as he mentioned in his book at da'ifa hadith number 1822 and even if it was authentic even if it was but it's not but even if it was authentic then it wouldn't be a proof for anything except the fact that if it was authentic it would be a proof that it's obligatory on us to seek the best of our people to be the imams but it would not be a proof that if we let anyone else lead us in prayer that the prayer will be invalid it's not a proof that the prayer is invalidated because you don't choose the best person as imam but it is a, it would have been a proof that it is obligatory on us to try to search out and to select and appoint the best of our people as our imams but this hadith as we mentioned is not authentic um, also he mentions another hadith وَلَا يَأُمَّ فَاجِرٌ مُؤْمِنًا وَلَا يَأُمَّ فَاجِرٌ مُؤْمِنًا that a fajir, wicked, corrupt person, sinful person could never lead in prayer a believer يعني a righteous person he says if this hadith was authentic then it would clearly indicate what those who said you shouldn't pray behind a fajr what their position is yani this would be a good proof for them because it, the, the language of the hadith is very clear that the wicked or sinful person should never leave, lead the believer or righteous person in prayer but again the hadith this hadith the isnad of it or the chain of narratives like the previous hadith is unauthentic as the shaykh mentions in his book Irwa al-Ghalil the hadith number 591 okay this is uh, concerning the first point the second point of al-imam al-Tahawi point number 7 وَلَا نُنَزِّلُ أَحَدًا مِّنْهُمْ جَنَّةً وَلَا نَارًا that we do not assign anyone from amongst the, the Ahl Qibla from amongst the Muslims we do not assign or appoint or declare any one of the people of the Muslims to be 
definitely in paradise or definitely in the hellfire. We do not assign anyone to such a position. وَلَا نَشْهَدُوا عَلَيْهِمْ بِكُفْرٍ وَلَا بِشِرْكٍ وَلَا بِنِفَاقٍ مَا لَمْ يَظْهَرْ مِنْهُمْ شَيْءٌ مِنْ ذَلِكَ يعني nor do we uh, declare or testify against or accuse anyone of the Muslims of kufr, disbelief, or shirk, association of something or making something equal with Allah or nifaq, hypocrisy. Yani these three things are very serious. To declare someone or to accuse someone of kufr or shirk or nifaq, hypocrisy is a serious matter and it is the position and the aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that we do not accuse someone from amongst the Muslims of these things. وَلَا نَشْهَدُوا عَلَيْهِمْ بِكُفْرٍ وَلَا بِشِرْكٍ وَلَا نِفَاقٍ With the condition, as Imam Tahawi rahimahullah says, مَا لَمْ يَظْهُرْ مِنْهُمْ شَيْءٌ مِنْ ذَلِكٍ As long as none of these things appear clearly and openly from them. Yani if the person shows openly that they are kafir, that they are munafiq, that they are mushrik, then that's different. <coughs> but even here, there are some conditions. Here Imam Tahawi is warning us not to take lightly the matter of declaring someone to be a kafir or a munafiq, a hypocrite. It is a serious matter. As long as it doesn't become something that is seen openly in their actions and their behavior. And finally he closed this point by saying, وَنَظَرُوا سَرَائِرَهُمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And we leave their secrets, the inner secrets or those things that are known to Allah. The thoughts or ideas or beliefs, convictions that's in the heart, we leave this to Allah. We do not have the ability to judge or to know what's in anyone's heart. This is something that's very dangerous also, uh, to be careful not to imagine or to determine what's in someone's heart. Allah is the one who knows the secrets of the heart. And it's not for us to look after the secrets of the heart or those things that are known to Allah. It's not our right to search after it or to seek it or to try to find it. (coughs) And here inshallah there's a point that's mentioned by uh, the the companion Umar bin al-Khattab in which it is reported it is a famous saying of Umar and it is it is considered by the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah as a qa'ida. It is a rule or a principle from amongst the rules of Islam. It is a basic rule. It has been taken by the Muslims as a basic rule. After the death of the Prophet وسلم, and the discontinuance of revelation. Yani before the death of the Prophet وسلم, while the revelation was continuing, it was possible to know who was a hypocrite because Allah could reveal what was in anyone's heart to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as he did and he knew all of the hypocrites of Medina and he gave that information to one of his companions anhu. and for that reason Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu, didn't used to pray behind any Muslim in Medina when they died until first checking to see if Hudayfa prayed behind that person because Hudayfa knew who the hypocrites were so if Hudayfa didn't pray behind them then Umar wouldn't pray also because he knew that Hudayfa had the secret of this matter that was given to him by the Prophet Umar ibn al-Khattab he said إِنَّا كُنَّا نَأْخُذُ أُنَاسًا بِالْوَحْيِ that we used to take the people or we used to judge them or know them by revelation 
We used to know what was inside people's hearts by revelation. Whatever they showed openly, we didn't, we weren't too concerned about that, but through revelation we knew even the secrets of the heart. But as for now, when the revelation has been discontinued, whoever shows us good, who displays openly Islam, displays the goodness of Islam in their actions openly, أَحْبَبْنَاهُ وَقَرَّبْنَاهُ وَأَكَلْنَا سَرِيرَتَهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ Whoever shows good openly, then we love him and we bring him near to us and we leave the secrets of what's in his heart to Allah. The secrets of what's in the heart, we leave it to Allah. But whatever, when we see the people doing openly good, then we accept them as good, we accept them to be from the Muslims and we keep them near to us and leave what is secret, what is known only to Allah, we leave that for Allah to judge. وَمَنْ أَظْهَرَ لَنَا شَرًّا أَبْغَضْنَاهُ وَأَبْعَدْنَاهُ وَإِنِّ الدَّعَى بِأَنَّ سَرِيرَتُهُ حَسَنًا But whoever shows openly, displays openly evil, corruption, wrongdoing, disobedience, then we hate him and we keep him far from us even if he claims that in his heart there's goodness. There are some people who don't fast and pray. They don't follow the laws of Allah, but they say, but I have Iman in my heart. This is especially present, and it is widespread amongst the Sufis. You will find that if they don't pray, they say, but Iman is in my heart. And they're on a different level, it's in my heart. But Umar ibn Khattab said, whoever shows us good, then we love them, and we keep them near to us, and we leave the secrets of their heart to Allah. But if they show us evil, then we hate them, and we keep them far from us, even though they may claim that there is goodness in their heart. Allah only knows what's in their heart, and the rule here is that we judge people according to what we see, not by what we imagine is in their heart. I imagine that that guy is really a hypocrite, this person is not really sincere, only Allah knows what's in their heart. It's not our right. Allah didn't order us, He didn't command us, He didn't expect from us to search out people's hearts. There's no way for us to know what's in the heart. This is the knowledge that belongs to Allah alone. And for this reason, whoever prays our prayer and faces our qibla and slaughters the animals as we slaughter our animals, as Imam Tahawi said in an earlier point that we discussed previously, whoever does so, these are the outward manifestations of Islam. If they do so, we accept them as Muslims. Mu'minun, Muslim, Mu'minin wa Muslimin. This is what Imam Tahawi said, and this is the basic principle that we follow. Abdullah Ibn Umar he used to say, Kunna ida takhallafa arrajulu an salat al fajri asa'na bihi azan. That whenever a man didn't used to come to the salat al fajr, the dawn prayer, we used to think evil of him. We don't know what's in his heart, but we, this by his actions, what we see, because the salat al fajr is so important that if a person didn't come to the Salat of Hajjah, the Sahaba, they used to think evil of that person, something wrong with him. The Prophet said in authentic hadith, that the Atqal Salatin ala al-Munafiq, the most difficult prayer on the hypocrite, is Salat of Hajjah or Salat al-Isha. So that was a sign for the Sahaba, but if a person had difficulty praying the Fajr and Isha and Jama'ah, that was a sign of hypocrisy. So they used to think evil of such people. By their actions, not by looking into their heart. We don't know what's in the heart, but we look at the outward manifestation of the actions of the people. Okay, here 
Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis, he says concerning, in his brief explanation at this point, he says that we don't <coughs> make judgments against the people of the Qibla, the Muslims. We don't say that anyone will be in paradise or be in the hellfire by pointing to any particular person with definiteness. And we don't say that any particular person is definitely in the paradise or definitely in the hellfire. But those who did good, then we hope that they will be in the paradise. But we are not يعني, feeling safe and secure with definiteness that that person would escape from the design of Allah, يعني, what Allah has decreed. <coughs> and whoever does evil, then we have compassion and sympathy for them, but we don't give up hope of the mercy of Allah for them. And yani the people who do good, we have hope that they're going to be in the paradise, but we can't say with certainty. And the people who do evil, we fear for them, but we have compassion for them, and we hope that Allah will forgive them, and we don't give up, no matter how uh, evil or corrupt they may be, as long as they died on Islam, we don't give up on anyone that Allah's mercy would not reach them, because Allah's mercy yani, overcomes His wrath. Uh, then he says that we don't testify or accuse any Muslim of kufr or shirk or nifaq, hypocrisy. That type of kufr or shirk or hypocrisy that takes somebody out of Islam. And we said on many occasions that kufr is of two types, major kufr and minor kufr. Or as Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu used to say, kufr dun kufr. Yani there is a type of kufr that's less than the major kufr. The major kufr, if a person falls into that, they're out of Islam. But the minor kufr means the actions, like the actions of the kafirs, this doesn't take somebody out of Islam. Doesn't take somebody out of Islam. So here, he said that we don't accuse anybody of the kufr or shirk or nifaq that takes them out of Islam, except that their actions and their behavior becomes manifest, that it is really kufr or shirk or nifaq, Except in that case, and even in that case, if it's manifest, only after two things. After first, uh, assuring that the conditions, the shurut of takfir have been fulfilled, and that the mawani, or the prohibitions of takfir, have also يعني, been fulfilled. That means two things. That first, before the scholars, the people who have the right to declare, يعني, someone to be out of Islam by their beliefs or their actions before they would declare anyone to be a kafir just by their actions or speech first they would make sure that the shurut of takfir of declaring someone to be a kafir are fulfilled and that means that that person uh, should be made aware that what they are doing or what they are saying is actually kufr and the proofs have to be presented to them and has to be made clear to them that what they are saying and what they are doing is really kufr. And that person, after understanding that it's kufr, then they continue in it, willingly, and knowing that it's kufr, then this, this is the meaning that the conditions should be fulfilled before declaring the kufr. And the prohib- prohibitive factor...
does something due to compulsion. They are forced to do it. They are compelled to do it against their will. If we found that a person due to compulsion or due to ignorance, they didn't know. For example, a new Muslim who's living in a non-Muslim land where the knowledge of Islam is not widespread and they were holding some beliefs or doing some practices that were actually acts of kufr but because they didn't know it. Then this is a prohibitive factor that prohibits anyone from declaring the kufr of that person. So here uh, the Shaykh says that we should look at these two things, make sure that the conditions are fulfilled and that the prohibitive factors are eliminated before uh, those who have the right to declare the kufr of anyone before doing so, before they would do so. And this is a very serious matter. We should not engage in such, yani declaring anyone to be a kafir or a munafiq or a mushrik, except yani with clear proofs and evidences. Uh, and finally, the Shaykh mentions the point of Al-Imam al he says, and we leave their secrets, <coughs> we leave their secrets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani we don't delve into the hearts of people and try to investigate yani what's inside their heart, what they're thinking, what they're believing inside secretly that we cannot see and we cannot know. We don't yani, search after those things, but we leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is the one who knows everything. But we take people, yani, we judge people according to what we see openly and we leave the secrets to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here, Shaykh uh, Al-Albani, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, says concerning the point, the first point, his commentary here concerning the first, first point that we don't assign anyone to paradise or hellfire or we don't declare any particular person to be in the, in the paradise or hellfire. He says, with the exception of the Al-Ashara Al-Mubashireen Bil-Jannah. Yani those people, the ten people were promised paradise by the Prophet wasallam, or others like them, like Bilal radiallahu anhu and like Abdullah ibn Salam radiallahu anhu and others whom it was made known about them, about them through revelation uh, by the tongue of the Prophet wasallam, that these people are the people of paradise. Yani that Allah has informed him or revealed to him that these particular people specifically that they are guaranteed to be in the paradise. This is by the testimony of the Prophet Here Shaykh al-Bani says that some people, some modern writers due to their ignorance uh, hesitated to declare the fact that Abdullah ibn Salam would be of the people of paradise due to the fact that he was a Jew before his Islam. Due to the fact that he was a Jew before his Islam. Even though the Prophet of Allah وسلم, declared and testified on his behalf by revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he would be of the people of paradise. And that hadith of the Prophet وسلم, recorded in the most authentic of books in Al-Bukhari and in other books. Perhaps Shaykh al-Albani says that the reason why some people hesitate to declare him to be from the people of paradise is because they are making a distinction between those who were Jews before the Islam and those who were outright pagans before Islam. The Arabs were pagans before Islam. They were pagans. And yet, those who entered Islam and their Islam was good and Allah mentioned their names that they would be the people of paradise, they accepted such. But because he wasn't from the Arabs, because he was from the Jewish people, they didn't accept such. When in fact there's no reason to make a distinction between anyone who was Jewish or uh, from the pagan Quraysh or otherwise, 
يعني before the Islam if they يعني worshipped Allah and submitted to Allah and obeyed Allah to such an extent that it was revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam who testified for them that they would be in the people of paradise then there's no reason for us to make any distinction between them or as Shaykh al-Bani says that if there is a reason and perhaps there is a reason to make a distinction between them then the, the, the distinction that should be made is that the people Ahl-Kitab have more right that we should testify to their being of the people of paradise if testimony has, given for, has been given for them by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and this is due to the hadith that's reported in Al-Fahihain and Al-Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said Thalathun lahum ajruhum marrataini that there are three people who would receive their reward twice and from amongst those people he mentioned Rajulun min Ahl Kitab amana bi nabiyihi wa adraka an nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fa'amana bihi wa attaba'ahu wa saddaqahu amongst those three people who will receive their rewards twice he said is a man from the ahl kitab the people of the book the christians the jews who believed in his prophet and then he lived until the coming of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he also believed in him and he followed him and he was truthful in following him then that person will be a person who will receive the reward twice. Whereas those who were pagans from amongst the Quraysh, they would only receive the reward once. So that means that Abdul ibn Salam, who was of the scholars of the Yahud, and the best of the Yahud, and the most righteous of the Yahud, and his father was the best of them in knowledge and in righteousness, and his grandfather was the best of them in knowledge and righteousness, then he have more right that when the Prophet of Allah وسلم, came, and he believed in him, and entered Islam, and made his Islam well, that he have more right that we should yani, verify and testify to the fact of what the Prophet ﷺ has declared of him being of the people of paradise. And finally, the last point that we have time to cover tonight, uh, point number 71, the saying of Al-Imam al-Tahawi, وَلَا نَرَى السَّيْفِ عَلَىٰ أَحَدٍ مِنْ أُمَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِلَّا مَنْ وَجَبَ عَلَيْهِ السَّيْفِ that we do not uh, view as permissible the sword or the killing of any one of the followers or the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam except in the case illa man wajaba alayhi says that one who is obligatory that he be killed yani the one who due to his actions the sharia requires that he be killed otherwise no muslim it is not lawful to take the life of any muslim no matter how we feel or whatever we see or whatever we say, except in the case that the Sharia, the law of Allah, justifies and requires that that person should be killed for some action of theirs. Here, the Shaykh Muhammad uh, ibn, uh, ibn Abdurrahman al-Khumis says that we don't believe that it is permissible. That is, the Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah do not see the permissibility of uh, fighting the Muslim or killing him except in those circumstances which the shari' the lawmaker Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has indicated by text either in the Quran or through the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam we don't see that it's permissible to fight against nor to kill a Muslim except in the circumstances that has been specifically mentioned in the sharia such as the saying of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim لا يحل دم امرئ مسلم 
يَشْحَدُوا أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَّا بِإِحْدَى ثَلَاثٍ يعني that it is not halal, it is not lawful to take the blood of a Muslim person who has testified that nothing has the right to be worshipped except Allah and that I am the messenger of Allah except in three circumstances. The Prophet ﷺ said, النَّفْسُ بِالنَّفْسِ يعني the life for a life, the one who killed someone then the Sharia requires that they should be killed. وَالثَّيِّبُ الزَّانِي And the married person who commits fornication, and he commits adultery, zina, the Sharia requires that that person should be killed. وَالْمُفَارِقُ لِدِينِهِ أَتَّارِكُ لِلْجَمَاعَةِ يعني the one, المفارق لدينه is the apostate, the murtad, who leaves Islam, who separates from Islam, who goes out of Islam. وَالْتَارِكُ لِلْجَمَاعَةِ The one who separates from the jama'ah يعني who deviates from the jama'ah who deviates from the Ahlul Sunnah wal-Jama'ah and the first jama'ah is the Sahaba so whoever deviates from the way of Sahaba and those who follow their way and the, uh, and the, the way of the Ahlul Sunnah wal-Jama'ah whoever deviates from that the people of bid'ah the people of innovation then also if it is innovation يعني bid'ah mukaffira that person could be killed for such Yani the person who leaves the deen and separates from the jama'ah is the third person that might be killed according to this hadith. And also, uh, the shaykh also mentioned the saying of the Prophet wasallam that's reported by Al-Bukhari on the authority of Ubadah ibn Samit radiallahu anhu. The statement of the Prophet wasallam in reference to the imams, yani obedience to the imams, he said that they should be obeyed إِلَّا أَن تَرَوْ كُفْرًا بَوَاحًا عِنْدَكُمْ مِنَ اللَّهِ فِيهِ بُرْحَانٍ يعني the one who you see open, clear kufr and you have a proof from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their kufr except that person they should be obeyed and then Imam al-Bukhari in his fiqh in the, he made the chapter heading for this hadith وُجُوب طَعَ that it is obligatory to obey the rulers except in disobedience yani except in disobedience to Allah and the exception to that where you don't disobey them yani even though they might not all you do, do an act of disobedience if they all you do an act of disobedience you don't obey them but otherwise you're oblig- it is obligatory to obey the rulers except that you see from them clear open kufr that you have a burhan, a proof from Allah for their kufr. And also another, uh, he also mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 33 إِنَّمَا جَزَاءُ الَّذِينَ يُحَارِبُونَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَسْعَوْنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَسَادًا أَيْ يَقْتَلُوا يعني that also another case in which a Muslim might be killed is contained in this ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 33 that verily the reward of those who yuharib Yani who make war against Allah and His Messenger and they spread fasad or corruption in the earth is that they should be killed ayaqtalu that they should be killed yani in this corruption in the earth uh, in modern times it is such things that destroys the society and one of those things that we saw today it being implemented in the case of, of those people who sell narcotics or drugs who bring them into the Muslim land to spread corruption and to destroy the Muslim societies then the Muslim scholars today said that for such an act this is spreading facade in the earth and that person should be killed 
So these are some of the conditions that are mentioned in the which the blood of a Muslim might be taken as it is required by the Sharia. Otherwise, if there is no text in the Sharia, then we might not, then we may not fight against, nor, we, nor may we kill a Muslim. Uh, maybe there's a few moments remaining. We can take any questions. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any comments or questions or corrections, let me take them now, starting with our brother. Naam. Naam. Person who commits suicide, I don't know. I don't recall the issue that well. But um, we know that committing suicide is a act for which a person, yani it's a major sin for which a person will be punished in hellfire, as the Prophet ﷺ described, that that person would be, yani Allah would make that person to repeat the act as they committed suicide, the manner in which they killed themselves, that their punishment in the hellfire was that they would repeat this act against themselves over and over and over again. But whether or not the prayer over them, uh, is prohibited. I don't know that the prayer over such a person is prohibited because in general the major sins, unless there is a text that I don't recall at this moment, in general we say that the major sins, uh, whatever they may be, however severe they may be, um, if a person commits a major sin, then still they have the right that the Muslims should pray over them. Naam. The person who's in debt. Yeah, anyway, we will come back to this. Uh, the question of the brother, awesome, but um, to be sure about it, because I don't recall really any particular text concerning it. As for debt, the person who dies and they are in debt, the text concerning this is clear. There are many examples in which the Prophet ﷺ used to ask before the janazah of any Muslim, he used to ask if that person was in debt. It is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim, numerous hadith in which he used to, it was his practice to ask if that person was in debt to anyone. And if so, he used to ask, do they have any money remaining in their properties to pay off that debt? And if not, then he would ask if anyone from amongst the Muslims would pay off that debt for them. And if not, then he wouldn't pray over them, but he would order the Muslims to pray over them. Now. Question? <laughs> Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin al Adani is a very uh, famous scholar um, originally from Albania. And when he was a child, his father migrated, made hijrah from that land to Syria, to the land of the uh, Arabs. And in that land, he grew up and learned Arabic language and studied yani, the madhab of the people of that place until he began to study hadith and became proficient in the studies of hadith uh, then he became well known as a scholar of hadith and he was formerly a professor of hadith at the Islamic University in Medina during the time of uh, the presidency uh, of Sheikh Abdulaziz bin Baz and he has written many books especially concerning the science of hadith 
Huh? He is living now. He is still living. He is living in Jordan now. And he has lived in many places from Syria to Jordan to the Arab Emirates. He even uh, was considering coming here at one time. I think he visited Papa and gave a speech uh, here which was recorded and uh, was, uh, and he, it was um, published. Um, and he lived in many countries until finally now he is in Jordan. Uh, unfortunately, due to yeah, and his firmness and steadfastness and sticking to the truth, um, he is not that well liked by some of the rulers and he has been yeah, and he, uh, yeah, and he punished and uh, confined and not allowed to go freely or to speak publicly to the people. But alhamdulillah his work is continuing, his, his writing and his students are many and they have published also so many books. The most famous of his books are the corrections or the uh, declaration or separation of the authentic hadith from the unauthentic hadith and the famous books such as the Sunan of, of Abu Dawood, Al-Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah, Nasai and he also did a checking of the hadith in Mishkat Al-Masabi and the hadith of Jami Al-Saghir and he has a very famous and important book called Irwal Galil in which he checked the hadith from one of the books of fiqh uh, examining the hadith and that book and also making commentary on it and he has an encyclopedia series of hadith Al-Silsila Al-Ahadith Al-Sahihah and Al-Silsila Al-Ahadith Al-Da'ifah in which he has collected uh, thousands of authentic hadith commenting on the authenticity of the isnads and the discussions of the scholars concerning it and sometimes even mentioning points of fiqh and aqidah and in a separate series he collected weak and fabricated hadith discussing the chains of narratives and also yani, the commentary of the scholars these are some of his books and from amongst his books is the uh, Ahkam al-Janais which I read just briefly from today which is concerning the rules and regulations of, related to death and the funeral prayers and so many other books that he has written. Uh, just a Because of the time limit, I didn't uh, really read from a lot of other scholars, but if we look in most of the books of Aqidah, of the people of Sunnah, you will find that almost all of them mention this point, that it is the position of Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah to pray Janazah Salat for the Muslim who dies, whether righteous or unrighteous. This is something that's agreed upon by the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah. It was the practice of Sahaba, the Tabi'een, the Imams have no difference of opinion about it. And it's something that there's no room really for difference of opinion. If a person who's unrighteous, who's wicked, who's sinful dies, the Muslims should pray for that person. We should not give up hope 
for anyone. Yani that Allah's mercy may reach them. And it happened in the case in more than one incident. Uh, uh, the woman called Ramidiya, she was from that tribe who committed adultery. And when she came to the Prophet ﷺ to confess her sin, uh, he turned away from her. And she insisted on telling him what she had done and he turned away from her and turned away from her until finally he had no excuse. Then he sought some way out for her because he knew of Allah's expensive mercy that Allah might forgive her. Uh, so he told her to come back when she delivered the baby because if they stoned her while she was carrying the baby maybe the baby in her womb would be killed who was innocent so after nine months she came back saying the baby has been delivered give me my punishment the Prophet ﷺ continued to seek a way out for her asking yani, was there anyone to take care of this baby she had to breastfeed the baby so he told her to come back after the baby has finished breastfeeding after how long? two years she came back, said the baby is free, give me my punishment. This is a very famous hadith that makes us to know the mercy of Allah, how great it is. When they stoned that woman, that she requested and insisted upon because of her sincerity and repentance. When they stoned her, some people start to say some words, may Allah curse her. And the Prophet ﷺ said that the sincerity of the repentance of that woman was sufficient to cover the sins of the people of Medina. So who are we to say that if anyone commit any sins, who are we to say that Allah might not forgive them? It happened also as some of the scholars of Aqidah mentioned in the books of Aqidah that there was a righteous man and a sinful man who were companions, yani who knew each other in the same place and the righteous man used to always tell the sinful man, stop committing sins, stop doing what you are doing. And the sinful man kept telling him, leave me alone, this is between me and my Lord. My Lord is forgiving, merciful. Finally, the righteous man got proud and told him, Allah will never forgive you. Then Allah took the life of that righteous man. And he said, who, yani, how did you get to the position to declare that I would not forgive someone? Yani, who are you to say that I would not forgive someone? So Allah punished him justly by his justice and threw him in the hellfire and forgive the one who was sinful yani out of his mercy because the sin of declaring Allah yani calling Allah short that Allah would not forgive someone when Allah said his mercy overcomes his wrath who has the right to make their self so great that they can declare that Allah would not forgive anyone this is a terrible sin that was greater than the sin of the one who was doing whatever he was doing, drinking or committing, stealing or lying or whatever sins he was committing. So this also is a proof that we should not become proud because we are righteous. We are praying five times a day, we are fasting in Ramadan, we are reading Quran, we are giving charity, we are doing a lot of good deeds and other people are committing sins openly and secretly and we know about it. Sometimes we might become proud of ourselves and think that we are better than them when in fact this is a very dangerous position to take. In fact, we should always hope for the mercy of Allah for those who are doing bad and pray for them that Allah guide them and also not become so proud that we feel guaranteed that we are going to paradise. But in fact, if Allah would judge everyone according to their deeds, then not one of us would enter the paradise.
not one of us would enter the paradise by our deeds but we enter paradise by Allah's fadl by the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this we should keep in mind so that we don't become so proud or become arrogant or look down on other people because of their sinful behavior or because of their condition whatever it may be and we might think that Allah will not forgive them but we should always hope for the forgiveness of Allah for the Muslims as long as they die on Tawheed we should hope for Allah's forgiveness for them and the Janazah Salat is the prayer for forgiveness that perhaps Allah's mercy may overcome them and that Allah might forgive them uh, if there are no other comments or questions inshallah we should go to prayer I think I don't know if the Adhan has been called it is time <laughs> okay Hmm. Yeah, it means that the person when they it means supplication. When you supplicate to Allah, you shouldn't uh you shouldn't raise your voice so loud as though you are calling on someone who cannot hear nor should you make your voice what do you say nor should you call on Allah without speaking you should speak you should pronounce the words when you call on Allah you should supplicate Allah by speaking to Him but not in a loud voice nor silently this is the meaning here not that when you make salat that you cannot recite Qur'an loud enough for the people to hear. In fact, the Qur'an should be recited loud enough for the people to hear. And one of the proofs of this is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. I think it is reported by Aisha when the Prophet sallallahu was on his deathbed and he ordered uh, that, uh, that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu should lead the people in prayer. He ordered that Abu Bakr should lead the people in prayer and Aisha radiallahu anha said no don't make him her father lead the prayer because he, he won't make the people hear him when he recites Quran because he cries too much the people will not hear him and in other words this is the indirect proof that when the person leads the people in prayer the people should hear them and she was saying don't let him lead the prayer because when he recites Quran people will not hear him you see so this is the proof that when the Quran is being recited it's supposed to be heard because the Quran and the Salat it's, it's meant to be a reminder and a guidance for the people. When we go to prayer, we hear the words of Allah and we're reminded of Allah's and instructions and guidance and the warnings or threats of hellfire or punishment and the promises uh, of reward in paradise. And this is, and it only happens when we hear the recitation of the Quran. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Shalom la ilaha illa anta astaghfirka wa tubi